morning, everybody. Welcome you here in the room, here online. Great to have you here. We're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 2 this morning, and then we're going to be moving to the Lord's table, uh, the latter part of our service, to close our time together. 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, verses 4 through 10 is where we're going to be looking this morning. I remember reading a story a number of years ago about a visitor to London, England uh, in the late 1800s. And he went there, uh, was a Christian, was interested to go to a church at that time in London. There were a number of uh, famous and eloquent preachers, uh, gospel preachers in churches. And so this guy went to a local uh, Christian and he said, uh, where would you recommend? I've got a Sunday morning and a Sunday night. Where would you recommend I go? And he mentioned a number of different people and one particular guy. And, and I remember one of the people he said was, if you go in here, and it might have been Joseph Parker. I don't remember which man it was. But he said, um, if you go there, you will hear a wonderful sermon. Then he talked about Charles Spurgeon. And he said this. If you go and hear Charles Spurgeon, you will hear about a wonderful Savior. That impacted me. I actually heard that back when I was in seminary, and it was a salient moment for me thinking about what preaching is ultimately about, more importantly, what living is ultimately about. I've been reading recently... um, you know, Mike got us to, Hester Mike got us to read through the Gospel of John and got a lot of us uh, writing the Gospel of John out. And a lot of us got in the habit of writing Scripture. And I know a number of you continued with other books. Uh, I've done a couple since then. I've done, I'm now in the, in the epistle letter to the Philippians. And I have been struck as I've read about Paul's relationship. Now, we re- believe as believers, we all relate to God. In his triunity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But it has stunned me with how central Jesus is in the the relationship that Paul has with God. Here's what he said in in, in verse 1. He says, I'm a servant of Christ. In verse 8, he says, I long after all you believers in Philippians with the affection I've received from Christ. In, chapter tw- in verse 21 of chapter 1, he says, Life for me is Christ. For me to live is Christ. In verse 23, he says, My desire is to depart and be with Christ. And then he makes this statement in the beginning of chapter 2 in verse 1. He says, My motivation to live and think certain ways is the encouragement and love that I feel from Christ. Paul never encountered Jesus physically. He was a violent opposer of the gospel until years after Jesus had died and resurrected and gone back to heaven. Yet, Jesus was so real to him. There's a book that uh, actually Pastor Ben mentioned it last Sunday. We have it out on our book display, recommended reading. And uh, I want to highlight it also. It's called Gentle and Lowly. It's written by Dane Ortland. I'm in the middle of it. It's a fabulous book. You you really do commend it to you. 
The book is actually um, his reflections on a book that he read from the 1600s by Thomas Goodman, which is entitled The Heart of Christ. And that book, which I think we can bring that one up too, uh, the Heart of Christ by Thomas Goodman also focuses on Christ, but in a unique sense, is focusing on the potential for a believer to have a living relationship with Jesus Christ that not only is similar to what it was like for the apostles to do life with Jesus, but actually can exceed that. And in the book, here's what it's entitled, and, and, and this is Thomas Goodman, Goodwin's book, is entitled The Heart of Christ, but here's the full title. The Heart of Christ, and this is a typical Puritan thing by the 1600s. The Heart of Christ in Heaven Towards Sinners on Earth. A, a treatise demonstrating the gracious disposition and tender affection of Christ in His human nature, now in glory, unto his members under all sorts of infirmities, either of sin or misery. For both Dean Ortland and Thomas Goodwin and the Apostle Paul, Jesus is the center of their day-to-day experience with God. For them, the second member of the Trinity has become the face and central reality of spiritual experience. I found the longer I've journeyed in these now decades with Christ, that my relationship has more and more becoming centered in Christ. I think much of my relationship in the early years with God, uh, though it was through Christ, because of Christ that I entered the family of God, much of my thinking was about God. And I was, I, I was, I was looking, but, and, and, and certainly God is the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But I'm talking about the specific member of the triunity. More and more, it is Jesus. I think that's exactly what it was for Peter when he wrote this letter. He was so full of the wonders of Christ. So with all that, let's look at what he says here in 1 Peter chapter 2. Don't let that long introduction scare you. That's not reflective of the rest of the time. First Peter chapter 2, verse 4, he says, As you have come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and he's quoting from Psalms now, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And thirdly, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pray as we dive in for a few minutes on this passage. Lord, we come to you as our Father you have deigned to call yourself and be that to us as your 
your spiritual children, your kids. But Lord, you have chosen to most of all make yourself known through Jesus. And just like Paul said, his passion in life was to know Christ. Lord, teach us a little bit more this morning about the preciousness of of your Son through whom we know you, through whom we see you, and through whom now we come with gratitude for the joy of being able to do life with you. So guide us into truth, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. There's two things I want to look at simply, but I want to focus on on the phrase in verse 4. As you have come to know him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. He's going to say later on in this passage in verse 6, quote from Psalms, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. This term precious is a monetary term, actually in the original. It meant it has a lot of value. It's something deeply valued. It has become precious to the individual. And I want to think this morning for a few moments about what it means that Jesus is precious. The reality that Jesus is precious is found here in verses 4 through 8. And first of all, we find out he's precious to the Father. Verse, one, or verse 4 says, but in the sight of God... Jesus is chosen and precious. To God the Father, Jesus has infinite, extraordinary value. He is precious to Him. He's proud of Him. He delights in Him. We would expect that. But He also tells us of another group of individuals, and He says He is not precious to the world. Verse 4, He says, He's the living stone rejected by men. In verse 7 and 8, but for those who don't believe, the stone, it's talking about Jesus, that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. They rejected him. In verse 8, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word and they are as they were destined to do. Most people in our world do not embrace Jesus as the center of their lives. To most people in the world, he is not their cornerstone, as we'll read about in a moment. They've heard about him. People in churches do not necessarily embrace Jesus as precious, as the most valuable commodity in their lives, the most valuable reality. Certainly the hardest thing in many of our lives is people that we deeply, deeply love and do life with to whom Jesus is not precious, because to us, He is the most precious person, the most precious reality in our lives, which leads us to the third grouping, He is precious to all who believe, verse 7 says. In verse 7 it says, so the honor is for you who believe, and literally He's saying, for you who believe, You have the honor of experience His preciousness. NIV actually translates it this way. Now to you who believe, the stone is precious. Saying you, the the honor is, He is precious to you. He's precious to you like He is to God the Father. You're separate from those who don't believe in that you have been given the gift of knowing the preciousness of Christ. 
I've been married for over 40 years. And the beautiful part of, of Jesus being precious is as soon as we enter into the family of God, we are already on that journey of growing in the enjoyment of the preciousness of Jesus. It is one of the ultimate marks of a person who has passed, as the Bible describes, from death to life, is that Jesus is precious to us, central to us. But it's a growing thing, right? I've been married for over 40 years, and way over half of my life now has been spent with my wife. It's hard for me to even envision a time of my life when I did not love Marian. She is precious to me. There's no one I pray with like I pray with Marian. There's no one that understands me or that I understand like Marian. There's no other human being as important to me as my wife. She is sincerely more precious to me than I would have been dreamed possible. But I remember days in the past. I remember when I was watching from my fourth floor dorm, Sammy Morris dorm at Taylor University, and I was looking out the windows, and I had, had become aware of this girl, and had dated her a little bit, and, and I was watching her, and she had a mail route. She would be, actually had a carriage, and she was delivering mail to the professors. Her dad was a professor, and I remember watching her on the sidewalk as she would pass my dorm. She didn't know I was watching, but I was looking out there at, at her, and I was thinking, man, that girl is precious to me. I remember the day of our wedding, and I remember standing there at the aisle where you guys have stood that are married, and looking up and seeing my bride coming in with her dad, and then saying these words that were my written vows, where I actually state, made this statement, I gratefully receive you as the most precious earthly gift God has ever given me. She's always been precious to me, but not like she is now. For every child of God, for every believer in Jesus Christ who has entered the family of God, he's precious. The beauty is he becomes more precious. We know his heart more. We grow in the, the sense of this. But very early in your walk with Jesus, he has become precious to you. It's what marks us as his people. Jesus has become precious to us, more precious than our job. Even our families, our positions, our relationships. Why? Well, that's what Paul tells us in the next couple of verses. The reason Jesus is precious in verse 7 is we have embraced him as our cornerstone. We have made him the cornerstone of our lives. Of course, if you're familiar with building at all, you know, especially in the past, cornerstone was the first thing they placed. They made sure that, that it was completely square because it was going to set the angle for that wall. It was going to set the angle for that wall. It was going to set the angles for the, 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 the vertical walls. Everything came off the cornerstone. It centered everything. And the degree to which the cornerstone was messed up, your building would be screwed up. Everything was aligned around the cornerstone. Every person on earth has a cornerstone. There's something we're building our lives around. Now that can fluctuate sometimes. Maybe your job at sometimes when you start having kids and maybe you'll be starting your kids and everything's preoccupying. You want it to be a good life for them. You want to do well for them. You want to make money for them. 
It can be a variety of things. It can be things that change over time, but we're all living towards something. There is something that when it is threatened, we find that it is the thing that we depended on, that was that which gave us value and personhood, significance. Scripture is saying to us, Jesus is that cornerstone. That as we've embraced Him as our Savior and Lord, as we grow more and more centering our lives around Him, He becomes more and more precious to us. The reason for that is He has proven to be the cornerstone we need. There are lots of other cornerstones we can build our lives around. Ecclesiastes talks about a bunch of them. It says you can build your life around money or position or relationships or pleasures or accomplishments. But Solomon said, I've had them all. I've tried them all. And he did in an astonishingly successful way. And he says, what I found is one after another. We're just a chasing after the wind. I, I thought, I, this, I just need this. If I just get this. But it just kept blown away. I thought I had it. It was meaningless. It didn't satisfy In most of our lives, it is not until we see our competing cornerstones fail us that we really cast ourselves on Christ as our cornerstone. But what we find is He is not a cornerstone that fails us. He does bring rest to our souls. We don't find anywhere else. If we were asked to describe Him, I'll say it this way. If you were asked to describe the person that you feel you are closest to and most loves you, and we said, would you describe him or her for us? And you could start giving their qualities and, and attributes. But it would be when we asked this question, would you describe his heart towards you? That the way we would describe them would be different. This is what it is about Christ. We feel His love. We feel His concern. We feel His protection. We feel His, His discipline and realize looking back, oh my goodness, He saved me from so much, though I hated what He was doing at the time. But I see how trustworthy He has become. He's a cornerstone worth building my life on and aligning my life with. He's precious to me. He's of infinite value. It's interesting, Paul, Peter starts this section But this statement in verse 4, as you come to Him, the more you come to Him, the more you cast your cares on Him, the more you draw near to Him, the more you turn to Him in trouble, the more precious He grows, the more valuable He's seen. I've shared this quote from a book by Brenning Manning in the past, but I'd like to share it again. Brennan Manning, um, flawed man, as we are all flawed people. He was just more transparent about it than most of us are free to be. But he was talking about in his book, A Glimpse of Jesus, about going to his high school reunion, uh, 50th high school reunion. Here's what he wrote in the book. Never having attended my high school reunion in the 49 years since graduation in February 1952, and motivated by guilt, nostalgia, and curiosity, I returned to Xavierian 
High School, Brooklyn, New York, in April 2002 for the celebration of our Golden Jubilee. The reunion was both happy and sad. Seven in our class of 44 had died. In the unavoidably intimate setting of a relatively small class, my introvert self, longing to spend the night in a shoe, was summoned to socialize. As the cocktails multiplied and tongues were lubricated, formalities disappeared, ties got shucked, coats were tossed aside, laughter exploded, and conviviality reigned. The disdain for the Brooklyn Dodgers' departure for Los Angeles and the treachery of the team's president, Walter O'Malley, wailed into the night. It was a calamity of biblical proportion. Several allusions were made to the unforgivable sin against the Holy Spirit, which he had done. I'm just glad my old friend Sal said solemnly that Abraham Lincoln wasn't alive to see it. (laughs) As the evening progressed, I was asked in Brooklyn dialect, the sweetest sound I've ever heard, what the hell you been doing with yourself the last 50 years? Without a second's hesitation, I answered, it's been a half century of sin and grace. With a twinkle in his eyes, Jack asked, would you share a little about the first part? Yes, I've been a drunk and I've been divorced. I've been sexually promiscuous, faithful during my marriage, but unfaithful to celibacy. A liar, envious of the gifts of others, a priest who was insufferably arrogant, a people pleaser and a braggart, which I'm probably being right now to give you the impression that I'm humble and honest. The twinkle from Jack's eyes vanished. And part two? By sheer undeserved grace, I've been able to abandon myself in unshaken trust to the compassion and mercy of Jesus Christ. I need to talk with you, Jack whispered. Can we step outside? Brennan Manning is just talking about someone who had become precious to him. Someone he had learned was a a person that was for him, that was gracious toward him. The way Peter looked at him, the way Paul looked at him, Thomas Goodwin and Dane Ortland, the way the psalmist David looked at him when he said, Lord, apart from you, I have no good thing. Well, David had good things, but he said, it doesn't matter, nothing's really good without you as the cornerstone of it all. You as the center of it all. Samuel Rutherford in the 1700s made this remarkable statement. He journaled this. Lord, I would rather be in hell with you than in heaven without you. For if I were in heaven without you, it would be hell to me. And if I were in hell with you, it would be a heaven to me. I don't know where you are this morning. Maybe you're here and think, wow, you know, I've heard about Christ and, 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 and Christianity and maybe you've even grown up in some Christian backgrounds, but you say, I, I, I have no concept of that sense of doing life with Jesus where he's that personally engaged in my life. Well, and maybe your response is, well, I, I would need... Man, I would need to do a lot more cleaning up in my life. I need to be a lot more worthy of that kind of relationship with Jesus. There's not anything you need to do 
but there is something you need to face. And that's this. You must face the fact that you will never be worthy of Christ. That He is not waiting until that time that you become worthy. He comes to you. He offers you forgiveness and a new life. He offers to become the one you can align your life with. To become your cornerstone. And he stands at the door of your heart and says this, I've come for sinners. I've come for the unworthy. I've come for people who have tried to center their lives on many other things. Who have made other things their cornerstone. But who are coming to realize that those cornerstones have failed them. He comes to you and offers to be your cornerstone. He does it by becoming your Savior. By providing you with forgiveness for your sins. And He says to you this morning, will you not accept His forgiveness and embrace Him as your Savior, as your Lord, as the cornerstone of your life? And this morning as we come to this table, if you're there and you're out there and you're saying, my goodness, I, yeah, I've tried this and this and yeah, the chasing after them, I get it. Still torn up inside, empty inside. But I'm not worthy. I mean, I see the sins I've done. I see, I, man, this, this service, this worship experience is designed by God for you. For Him to say to you, will you not come to Christ? Will you not embrace the one who loves you enough to die for you. The one who offers to provide forgiveness for you. The one that offers to be the cornerstone for the remaining building of your life. You may also be here as a believer in Jesus and you have embraced him as your savior. But as we all know, the chaos and clutter and fast lane of life can cause us to not be aligning ourselves with Jesus the way we could be. Remember how Peter started this passage. He says this, as you come to Him. This morning as we go to the Lord's table, and actually you stay where you are and we do these things the song is going to be played. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Let Him enthrall you again. Let Him fill you again with that reminder. Of course. Yes, He's precious to me. But I'm not living that way. I'm living as if my job is precious. Or my, or my energy is precious. Or my yard is precious. Or my, my family's precious. And all those things can be secondarily valuable, but they will not be something to align your cornerstone as your cornerstone. We come to the Lord's table this morning because it's a place where we're invited to come. To realign ourselves with Christ. In a moment I'm going to pray and the song is going to be played, and I'm just going to give you an opportunity to quiet your hearts before I lead you through the elements as we close our service. If Jesus is prompting your heart right now, and you have never personally embraced Jesus Christ as your Savior, man, I would love the opportunity, as would any of the members of our church staff, to talk to you afterwards or this week, 
about how to embrace Jesus as your Savior. I want to give directions, then it'll be done it. You should have gotten one of these as you came in. Are there people here that didn't get one of these that would like, okay, there are a few. Can I just, who's, who's it? Barry, can I impose on you? Would you, okay, Jim, thanks. If you can just have a few and uh, they will make those available to you. Basically, for hygienic purposes, in a post-pandemic pandemic or pandemic world, um, we're going to partake of these and I'm going to lead us through. And all you're going to have to do is tear off the top and take it. I'm trying to get through the logistics of this so I'm out of logistic world and back to spiritual thinking uh, in a moment. Um, and then we're going to do the same with the cup. We're going to start with the, the bread in the bottom. Let's pray and then, um, and even though I'm praying, if you are here without these, just slip up your hand and the guys will bring you some. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you today. Lord Jesus, you are precious to us. We love you that you came here. It's astonishing to think that you walked around in bodies just like ours. That you're still seated with a body like ours, though glorified. And Lord, it is so compelling to think that we can now know you as intimately, as closely, and love you as passionately as those that actually walk day by day through the streets of Nazareth did. That you are not afar off, that through your Spirit, you are actually within us. Lord, we're coming to you this morning. Fill our gaze, Jesus. We worship you, our precious friend, Savior, and Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. In the quietness of where you are, what I'd like you to do, God maybe has spoken to you through the last 20, 25 minutes. I'd like you to talk back to God about what he's talked to you about as a way of coming to Jesus. And then I'll lead us through the elements. The song's going to be quietly prayed. Talk to God about what he's talked to you about today. to die Raise your head for love is passing by Come to Jesus Come to Jesus Come to Jesus and live Now your burden's lifted and carried far away Precious blood has washed away the stain. So sing to Jesus, sing to Jesus, sing to Jesus, and live. And 
like a newborn baby Don't be afraid to crawl And remember when you walk Sometimes we fall So fall on Jesus Fall on Jesus Fall on Jesus And live Sometimes the way is lonely Steep and filled with pain So if your sky is dark and pours the rain Then cry to Jesus Cry to Jesus Cry to Jesus And live Oh, and when the love spills over And music fills the night And when you can't contain your joy inside Then dance for Jesus Dance for Jesus Dance for Jesus And Apostle Paul said, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. If you haven't done this already, go ahead and take the wafer out. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also we took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me.
Lord, we've, we're grateful to gather together. It's such an amazing thing to come together with people, many of whom have made Jesus their cornerstone and would declare He is precious. To gather corporately and just by singing together, by participating in worship together, we're saying to each other, it's true. He's real. He's changing my life. Lord, I pray for those that are here with us today and watching online today to whom you have not yet become the cornerstone of their life, their Savior, their Lord. Lord, do the work only you can do. Show them truth. Draw their hearts. Lord, my prayer this morning is they might find how precious Jesus is for themselves. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. We are dismissed. Now go in peace to love and serve and enjoy the Lord.